So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into the Scriptures together this morning. Father, I pray, God, in Your grace, even just right now, You would be merciful to us, God, that You would teach us from Your Word, that we would be hearers, that we would be doers of Your Word, and not merely hearers only who delude themselves, God, but that Your, your Spirit would teach us, God, the things that we would have to know. God, help us to see that Your Bible is not difficult God, it's easy just to open and read and understand. Um, Father, would pray that that would be our heart's delight, that we would understand Paul's message in this next section, God, to encourage us and, uh, and strengthen us in the way that, that you would have us to go. Um, so, Father, would pray that even right now you would pour out your blessing upon us. God, be gracious to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to tell you about... Um, March 15th. What's March 15th? The Ides of March. And uh, the Ides of March was, a, <clears throat> was a, a Roman holiday in which the, the Romans would come and, and worship their gods. Um, might be similar to, say, a Christmas, but maybe, say, uh, um, an Easter or a Fourth of July, whatever, just some kind of holiday. Memorial Day, remember... Um, those who, are, who have sacrificed their life for us, but some kind of holiday. Well, of course, the Ides of March was not just the worship day. Become, we, we know of it today because of the assassination of uh, Julius Caesar in 44 B.C. Before he was assassinated, there was uh, unrest in the, the government of the Roman Republic, increasing dissatisfaction with uh, the leadership of, of Julius Caesar, who was a dictator of Rome, and the, the Roman Republic, and uh, he had recently been declared the, the dictator perpetuo, the perpetual dictator, who would always be until he died. And since there's no political way for them to oust Caesar, um, there was a, a, a military coup, if you will, 60 people, up to 60 people, senators, representatives, these are the ones who conspired against him. And, and on the Ides of March, March 15th, 44 B.C., he was on his way to the, the theater of Pompeii for the festivities of the day. And on that way, he was ambushed by dozens of governmental representatives, stabbed to death dozens of times, and died. Launched a civil war in the Republic, and after four years of struggle, a, a man named Octavian, who was also known as Augustus, um, then became ruler. He became power's new emperor, and to avenge Caesar's death, four years to the day of his assassination, the Ides of March in 40 B.C., he executed 300 political leaders who had been involved in the, the military coup, and the Ides of March have never been the same since. Well, this morning, we come to our text in Romans 16. We, we, Paul, we see Paul addressing those in the church who are trying to disrupt the peace and the unity of the church. Now, the, the scope of the church is a little bit different, Paul is talking about, the church in Rome. It's a little bit different than the Roman Republic. I mean, the Roman Republic was the, the strongest, um, the most, most highest, whatever, covered all of the known world. And here he's talking about this little, little Roman church. Um, and, and normally in churches, when they have problems of struggle and, and coups and, and revolts, doesn't normally end up in assassinations of the pastors of the churches, thank, thankfully, for my sake. Um, but power 
struggles are, are the same, are, are of a similar sort. People come into the church, seek to divide the church, seek to gain followers after their own way, and then accomplish their, their coup. My message this morning is entitled, Dealing with the Divisive. That is, those who are creating divisions in the church, and oftentimes divisions are created with an idea of taking over, as uh, Brutus and, and others did. Um, and so, my message this morning comes from Romans 16, verses 17 to 20. If you'd like to open your Bibles there, I would encourage you now to do so. Page 915 in your pew Bible, if you're looking there. But I'll just say this, before we read the text, just know that churches always deal with divisive people. Uh, sometimes it leads to nothing. Sometimes it leads to a small group of people leaving the church. Sometimes it leads to a church split. Sometimes divisive people will actually take down a church and leads to the end of a church altogether. Even the best of churches and the best of men can experience struggles in these regards. I remember John MacArthur telling of experience of, uh, of such a betrayal in his ministry. I remember uh, about 10 years ago, he was interviewed by Mark, uh, Mark Dever on the Nine Marks podcast about his four decades in ministry. And just reflecting back upon the suffering and the trials that, that he has gone through, he, he he went back and he told the story about Black Tuesday at Grace Community Church. About seven or eight years into the ministry, the church was really exploding and flourishing, MacArthur says, and everything was doing great. And as MacArthur says, then the entire staff mutinies. He said, there was somebody orchestrating this entire thing. I walked into a staff meeting one day and said, I want to tell you guys how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. I want to thank you for your friendship, to which one of them, speaking for them all, says, if you think that we're your friends, you've got another thing coming, buddy. And uh, a mutiny broke out at that moment. And uh, as, I, as I remember this story, like almost all the staff at Grace Community Church resigned that day. MacArthur was like the only one standing. And, and he said in this interview with Mark Dever, he was shocked he was devastated, he was in tears, he was in grief, he didn't know what he was going to do. But he pressed on, and in God's providence, MacArthur survived that mutiny and continues to serve faithfully 40 years now at Grace Community Church. In our text this morning, Paul, Paul counsels us how to deal with divisive people early on so that it never reaches the, the mutiny stage. So I want to read our text, Romans 16, 17 through 20. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil." The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In these verses, Paul is dealing, of course, with division in the church. Now, what's particularly interesting here is he's dealing here with, with division, but just what Paul finished talking about. From chapter 14 and 15, he was talking about unity in the church. Chapter 16 paints a picture of unity. And now, beginning in verse 17, he speaks with those who are causing divisions in the church. You remember chapters 14 and 15 dealing with unis in the church, how he talked about the strong should bear with the weak. Chapter 14 and verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
In any group of people, you're always going to have a difference of, of opinions when it comes to unity of the church, though Paul puts the burden of unity upon the strong right on their shoulders to bear with those who are, are weak. And that's how it always works in a unified group of people. It, it's always the older, stronger siblings who need to look out and help support the younger, weaker ones. It's the best and strongest players on a team who need to lift up those who are not quite as strong, those who are weaker players, to help make them better. It's the one who's strong in directions, who makes the travel decisions of where you need to go when you hit the junction, which is often Yvonne and not me, if you know anything about my sense of direction. Yvonne just always knows where north is, and I don't. So it's the strong one, the, the able one, always carries the weak along with him. So in the church, it's the strong in faith who bear with the weak. The church is not to be a place of, of conflict because of opinions. It's supposed to be a place of unity and harmony and love. And Paul, in chapters 14 and 15, brings up two examples of this, diets and days. Diets was addressed in chapter 14 and verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Right? Within, within the church, there were these, these differences about what you can eat or what you couldn't eat. There, there were those who were caught up in the religious past, still following the ways of Moses. And Moses had told them to eat a certain way. And they didn't understand that it's not what you, goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you from your heart that defiles you. And, uh, and so some kept the Jewish diets and some didn't keep the Jewish diets. And Paul just said, let the strong, right, the one who understands their freedom, put up and endure with those who feel like they have to eat in the Jewish ways. And the other issue he brought up was that of days. Sabbath days, maybe festival days, uh, we're not exactly sure, but, but somehow tying themselves to the religious calendar, which they, they grew up. They always celebrated Yom Kippur, always, 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 and felt like they had to celebrate Yom Kippur, even though Yom Kippur could be celebrated every day in the day uh, through the resurrection of Jesus. But there were those in the church that couldn't get away from the law, and Paul again says it's a matter of opinion, and when it's a matter of opinion, Keep unity. Chapter 14, verse 15. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. And the idea is there, be convinced in your own mind. Serve the Lord, right? Because you're going to stand before the Lord. You don't have to stand before me with your opinions, right? I don't have to stand before you with my opinions. We all need to stand before the Lord. And that's exactly what he says. Why do you, verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then let each of us will give an account of himself to God. When it comes to religious opinions, how Christianity works itself out, we don't need to be going about judging others. Right? Rather, we do all in our power to seek unity in the church, bearing with our differences. In the days of Paul, that meant tolerance over diets and days. In our day, it means difference. And I brought these out in these messages. Difference regarding the education of our children, whether we choose to educate them public school, Christian school, or private school. The biggest determining factor in, in your children, how they, they grow up and develop, will be parental influence, regardless of school choice. In our days, this means tolerance regarding your music choices, our music choices, our movie choices, our recreational activities, our use of alcohol or nicotine or Bible virgins or 
church activities or the, the length of our hair or the length of our dresses, all these sorts of things. These are mere opinions that some of us might hold to have convictions on. You're supposed to have a conviction, but let's endure for the sake of unity. And Paul really culminates this section, chapter 14 and 15, in chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, focusing upon unity. He so longs for the unity of the church. Verse 5, chapter 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul envisions this this church, differing opinions, different backgrounds, different cultures, all with one voice glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And the principle comes in verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If God has accepted you into his kingdom, then we ought to accept you into our fellowship. You are welcome in our fellowship. And last week, we saw a picture of what a unified church looked like with all these greetings, everybody greeting, greeting one another, greeting one another. And the picture is this holy, happy hug. It comes down to the very last verse of chapter 16, our section last week, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I said, whatever that means, whether it's a, a healthy handshake or a, a happy hug or a holy kiss, the idea is intimacy. The, the idea there's unity and happiness and joy and, and, and genuine vulnerability and peace among the brothers. Well, in, in verse 17, now Paul changes. And, and, and rather than talking about a unified church, he talks about the threats to a unified church to a happy, healthy church, the threats that, of those people who come into the church to divide the church. My message this morning is entitled, Dealing with the Divisive, because that's what we see in our text. Look again at verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those, here it is, who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Now, if you notice here, Paul's transitioning from opinion Chapter 14 and verse 1, to doctrine, to teaching. See, when it comes to differing opinions, seek unity. When it comes to differing doctrines, differing teachings, we're to deal in a different way. Paul counsels us how to deal with divisions in the church, right? I, I trust you see the command there in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been it's my first point, right? Watch out. Or if I have said, notice them. How do you deal with divisive people? Notice them. I don't have an overhead up, up here, so you've got you to catch that. What's my first point? My first point is what? Notice them. Right? There it is. Watch out. The idea is to, to beware of them, if you will. Those who come into the church and cause divisions are extremely dangerous regarding the unity of the church, Right? I mean, right, if, unity, if the church is at and someone's coming in causing divisions, they're like dangerous to the unity of the church. A pin is dangerous to the unity of a balloon, right? And, and so if a pin is going to come into the balloon, you've got to watch out for them. You've got to notice that pin and keep that pin away because the whole idea of that pin is to burst the balloon. And the whole idea of people causing divisions is to strike down the unity of the church, now, sometimes when people walk in, this danger is known right away. Um, sometimes the danger takes some time to be exposed, but either way, we're to notice them. I, I remember years ago at Rock Valley Bible Church, we had a, 
a visitor one Sunday morning. This is when we were at Rockford Christian High School. And uh, as we're standing around, right, I'm meeting new people, and, and I met this man, and I began talking with him, and it becomes immediately evident this man's into prophecy. I mean, he knows all about prophecy, and he just whatever took whatever that happened this past week and talked about how we are surely in the end times and, and the political environment of the days. We are in the last days, and we need to be aware of these things, and we as a church right, really need to be aware of this. And as the conversation progressed, I, I spoke with him about our pattern of ministry at Rock Valley Bible Church. Well, you know, that we, just, we take the Bible, we teach it, and so as last times come up, we will we'll, we'll bring that up and and we'll teach that. We're going to let God speak to us in His way, in His time. And His first question after that was, well, when are you going to preach Revelation? And Because uh, that's what He wanted. That's what we wanted to talk about. He's got all this expertise and all this futuristic stuff. And it was quickly evident this man was coming to our church with an agenda. And He's going to try to pull us away, cause divisions, create obstacles by focusing people's attention upon prophecy. He's going to talk about it with everyone who is, who is around and suck others into the same. And I would call him simply bad news is what I would call him. And it was clearly made known to him that, that the focus of our attention at Rock Valley Bible Church isn't going to be exclusively on eschatology. And I remember a, a, a guy in our church was in the conversation. He saw what was going on. It was obvious to him enough. That, that he kind of took him away and kind of showed him to the snacks and got him some snacks and escorted him. And so he just talked with him so I could get on and talk with other people and uh, so that he wouldn't be even talking to other, other people at the church. And afterwards we followed up and he said, yeah, I saw how bad news this guy was. I just wanted to take him away from you. And he'd spend time with me talking about these, these things. We, we never saw him in church again because I think we, we dealt rightly nipping that division right at the bud because we noticed him, and then his teaching came contrary to our teaching, that, that everything, right, had this big eschatology thing all, all over it. But, and people can come into our church with all sorts of contrary teachings, and we maybe know about it first, deal with the head on, maybe we don't know about it for a while, but, but people can come into our teaching, your church with all sorts of contrary teachings, say about the character of God, or, or the nature of God, or the person of Christ, or the the role of the spirit or the morality of people or the way of salvation or the security of salvation or the place of works in our separation or in separation from the world or in church government or ministry methodologies or the gifts of the spirit or the ordinances or marriage and divorce or Satan or demons or angels about end times. I mean, all these are like potential landmines where people can come in with their own teaching agenda and seek to divide the church. I mean, see, when, when people come and try to teach at Rock Valley Bible Church that God is not sovereign over all things, they'll divide us. When people come in and try to teach that Jesus was a mere man, not God incarnate, that's a potential division. When people try to teach the Holy Spirit's a force and not the third person of the Trinity, that caused division among us. When people come in and try to teach that, that people are basically good, that will divide us. When people come in and try to teach that there are many ways to God, that will divide us. Or, or that Jesus died on the cross merely as an example for us to follow in his steps. It's a partial truth there. Just the example of Jesus dying, not the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Christ. Or, or when people come in and, and teach you can lose your salvation, that could divide us. Or people come in and, and describe how works are necessary to obtain your salvation. 
that could divide us. Or, or when people come in and, and say that Christians need to live off the grid, separate from the world, that will divide us. Or, or when people come in and say that the pastor of a church should be the anointed of God who can't criticized, can't be criticized, that would be wonderful. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That would divide us. As soon as we start lifting one person above everything, like who's untouchable, that's, that would divide us. Or uh, the church should use worldly methods to attract unbelievers to come into the church so they can hear the gospel, right? So, so let's use the world's methods to grab people. That, that would divide us. Or that one needs to speak in tongues to be saved. Or that the tongues is, is babble. That doesn't make it. Tongues is languages, is what tongues were. Or that you need to be baptized to be saved. Or that marriage is a commitment between two people, regardless of gender. That would divide us. Or that divorce is never permissible. That would divide us. Or that Satan and Jesus were brothers, as the Mormons teach. Or that demons are in every doorknob. That would divide us. Or the angels are not real or that Jesus already came back. I mean, these are the sorts of things that are taught out there. Just know that. And if they come into our church, we need to watch them. We need to be aware of them as they come up. Because they are deadly. And we should notice when people bring them in. So we should notice them. But second, we should avoid them. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. I trust you see at the end of the verse, those two simple words, avoid them. Right? Just notice them and avoid them. Right? We had to have no part with them. Separate from them. Isn't it interesting here when, when Paul's talking about the unity of the church? Um, chapters 14 and 15 instruct us to deal with our differences, right, by getting along, right, uh, opening our arms of grace and mercy to live in harmony with one another. But here, when dealing with divisive people, it's totally different. When people are coming in divisive, for the sake of the unity in the church, divide the church, right? Get rid of them. Don't let them come in. And that's how you protect your unity. You can protect your unity by, by love and grace and putting up and enduring with others. And I think that's true believers is the idea of chapter 15, verse 7. Christ has welcomed you. You welcome people. But these sorts of things that I, that I talked about teaching, I mean, these are, these are non-Christian doctrines. These are unbiblical doctrines. These will strike at the core of, of our faith. And for these people... Right? They start pushing that. We need to divide over that. We need to avoid them. In other words, right? The, the church is a diverse place. Lots of people. Lots of different opinions. And the glory of the gospel is the gospel overcomes all these things. Is that we can have Jew and Gentile living together, working out their Christianity in different ways and understanding that it's through faith and faith alone that we stand before God has saved sinners. And God has endured much with us, and we can endure much with other people. It's a glorious thing when, when differing people come together to worship God. Right? But when people come into the church, ready to push their own agenda, re- ready to divide us on, on doctrines that, that deviate from the apostolic doctrine, the biblical doctrine, the, these differences are too large to overcome. And there's no way that we're going to obtain these differences or, or work through these differences and gather people together. Rather, the best way is to separate from that 
Now, it's interesting here. I'm not sure you caught this. Who's Paul instructing in verse 17? Who's he instructing in verse 17? It's it's not the pastors, not the elders, not the leaders of the church. This is the, the people of the church. These commands are for you all and for me. So it's not, in other words, right? Someone comes in, we should avoid them. It's not just, oh, the pastor should tell us, instruct us. It's that, no, we should see that, discern that, and we should avoid that. It's your responsibility as you talk with people. I can't talk with everybody. I can't know everything going on about everybody. But it's you all have a responsibility to see and discern that as well. And don't get me wrong, there are lots of passages in the New Testament that focus their attention upon the importance of leaders, right? shepherding the congregation, looking over the congregation, not only teaching sound doctrine, but refuting those who contradict. That is, that is very true. But that's not Paul's exhortation here in Romans. Paul's exhortation here in Romans is to everyone. Everyone be on the watch. And everyone avoid those who are causing division. Now, one of the things I, I think is a glory of Rock Valley Bible Church that we've been quite tolerant of others in our midst. We, we've recognized the validity of Romans 14 and 15 that people of different opinions can live together in harmony with one another. That non-believers can be in our midst and see us and understand us. Not only heard from the pulpit, but to see how that works itself out in, in our lives. And, and for the most part, anyone who's come along with a contrary teaching, trying to get a footing, has like no traction. Uh, they, they, people maybe have tried and it just doesn't work. Because we're united on the essentials for sure. This is to your commendation. This is a testimony to your, your maturity. But, but there are times for the leaders to act as well. Uh, a few years ago, I remember a, a man and his wife attending our church. Pretty involved. Um, but on, on Facebook. Facebook is a great thing. And it's a bad thing. So it's like America. The thing that's great about America, you can do anything you want. The, bad, the worst thing about America is that what? You can do anything you want. And, and the great thing about Facebook is you can say everything you want. And uh, the worst thing about Facebook is you can, what, say everything you want. And so Facebook can be a great place to bring people together. And it can be also a, a great forum today to, like, divide. And uh, on, on Facebook, this man begins to demonstrate his, uh, his discontentment with the church. How uh, Really, he hates going to church. Um, but he comes as a matter of duty, like he's supposed to come to church. And... As, as he was around, you could see how unhappy he was here. Um, you, you could see how um, he didn't really like it. But over the we had served him, we had helped him, we had been faithful to him, and he felt loved. That's, I think that's why he didn't leave. Um, but it, but as these sorts of things came out of his disgruntledness, I think some of you just began to avoid him because he was going to suck the life out of you. He was toxic. His friends at church were diminishing um, now, at this time, also, his Facebook was becoming to get more and more accusatory. Now, probably a dozen of you were on Facebook with this guy, so it's not like, not like all of you were. But he began speaking badly about our church, speaking about how bad things are at church, how wicked I am, how authoritarian I am. One of his posts is this, quote, One of God's miracles, colon, that he can use a little jerk as an eloquent preacher. So I think you know who the little jerk is that he was talking about, right? I mean, things got to the point he publicly called for my removal on Facebook for all his friends to see. 
And uh, it was obvious that this man was contrary in trying to cause divisions. And after discussing with the elders, I called him up, asked him to leave. I said, you know what, that sort of attitude, you just can't be around our church. You You have to leave. And that's really here, right? Avoid them. And kind of when it came to that point, we can put up with a lot of things. We can't put up with that of just trying to get in and try to cause a wedge and, and just try to, try to subvert what we're doing at church. And so I asked him to leave. It was messy. He didn't like it. He protested. More venom spewed out on the Internet. Um, but our role as leaders was to step forward and force this issue with this man who was causing divisions in the church. He wasn't helping anybody. And um, we asked him to leave. It was really the, the third or fourth church he's been asked to leave in a similar fashion. He's He's gone through that rodeo before, but for the sake of unity, we separated. We have avoided this man. But in dealing with, with divisive people, Paul, Paul tells us more, not just the commands to, to watch out for them and not just the command to avoid them. Also, it says in verse 18, here, understand them. Understand what's happening with people who try to cause disunity in the church. Look at verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. That is, they're not Christians. They may say they're serving Christ, but the way they're trying to tear down his church, they're demonstrating they're not serving Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. See, when people are causing divisions in the church, you need to understand what's going on in their lives. Paul says in verse 18, they're not serving the Lord Christ. They are serving their own appetites. They're seeking a following with a smooth talk and flattery. That, that's why you smooth talk people. That's why you flatter them. It's supposed to try to get people on your side. They're trying to deceive those who are naive enough to believe them. And when it comes to this guy talking badly about our church on Facebook, these things are very true of him. He was speaking badly of the church of Jesus Christ. He was uh, speaking badly about the bride of Christ, and nobody would tolerate such talk about their own wives. And behind it all was his own desires seeking a following, trying to, to gather people out there who might, who might rally to his cause. And, and things might easily have turned. You think about it, how easily things might turn if a, a few of you would have joined his cause. Right? If he would have gotten some followers and, and got a following, it wouldn't have been just him. It would have been others in the church who think that I'm a, a little jerk. right? And that, whatever. Think, others think that I'm authoritarian. Others think that I rule this church with an iron fist. You all know that is, I think, pretty far from from the truth. But nobody followed him. Not any one of his dozen or so friends at Rock Valley Bible Church. Because I I believe, verse 18, that you understood him. You understood what was going on. Because divisive people, Romans 16, verse 18, do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, They deceive the hearts of the naive. You show me a person seeking division in the church, I'll show you someone following their own appetites. You show me someone seeking division in the church, and I'll show you someone trying to gain a following so as to rally their cause. Another occasion, I remember a man coming to our church immediately after the sermon. Um, I I was standing right up here, and I, I forget where he was sitting, but he came and he made a beeline straight towards me First thing he did was he corrected my, my preaching style. He said, oh, you read too much. You can't, you can't read that much. Because I, I read some lengthy, lengthy quote. And then he lectured me for five minutes about women's roles in our church. How 1 Timothy 2.12 says, The woman is not permitted to exercise authority or to teach over a man. 
and, and how men are the head of their wives. And um, there was nothing in our service at all talking about that. It's not like I said he was responding to that. He just kind of came with this agenda, and it was his issue. He wanted to make sure he got his point across to me and how important it was for us at church. And his approach was so abrasive not only to me but to other people that as we spoke with elders meeting that week, we knew this man was bad news. And uh, that week we decided if he'd come back again, we'd set up a meeting with him, confront him just divisive attitude, and tell him that that sort of attitude is not welcome at Rock Valley Bible Church. Now, in God's providence, he didn't come back. I didn't have to have that, that meeting with him. Um, but, but later, you know, I had an opportunity to meet his wife and talk with her a little bit. And I say this with broken heart, that his issues there, I think, were trying to justify some unhealthy attitudes and actions in his own marriage. My guess is um, that he wanted to be an authoritarian husband, and he was an authoritarian husband. And, and he wasn't going to find that here. We're going to find here men who, who serve the women and their wives like Christ serves the church. And I think he knew that because we understood him, and I think he came to understand that we understood him, and that was not going to be tolerated at a church. So you need to understand them, right? You, you need to know that it's their, their own appetites and the smooth talk and flattery. They're trying to deceive the hearts of the naive. And so I just say when you, you see someone like that trying to cause division, you just... You just Avoid them. Know them and avoid them. I remember another family coming to our, our church, and uh, they'd come from another church where they had a small group, and the, the, the leader of that small group, kind of like every time they got together, they said, yeah, I know this is what we're supposed to be teaching from the church. That's what the church says, but, but just let me tell you how, how bad the pastor is, right? And it started, and basically that small group then became this, this, um, this place where they, they festered this antagonism and hatred towards the church and they rallied these, these people, this small group, to really go against the church. And, and, and the people of that small group were naive, and they kind of took it all in. And rather than avoiding those people and watching out, they took it all in because they didn't understand what was going on. What was understand what was going on, and, and I don't know all the details, but I would suspect that here was a guy in the church who wanted to be the senior pastor. And he couldn't unless he rallied his other people to say how bad that guy was so he could eventually get up there and kick the guy out. But understand, that's the sort of passion, the flattery that people want. They want to pull away leaders. And so I say, when, when, when there are divisive people in the church, right, notice them, verse 17. Avoid them, verse 17. Understand them, verse 18. And now, fourthly, just be wise. Be wise, verse 19. Paul says this, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. And with these words, Paul's really encouraging them. How, how encouraging would it be, right, for our church, Rock Valley Bible Church, to be known as an obedient church, right, to, to all the people, right? Your obedience is known to all, right? Your submission to Christ, your, your love for Him, your, your desire to follow after Him and, and obey Him. And I was long for that to be true of Rock Valley Bible Church, that our reputation far and wide would be known as, as those who who obey. And Paul rejoiced over the church at Rome. And I rejoice at Rock Valley Bible Church. This is a case. By and large, I would say we are an obedient church. Uh, I see us as a church is striving to follow the Lord in all things. It's my privilege to shepherd you. It's my privilege to preach to you. I don't feel like I'm 
preaching to disobedient people. Sometimes from time to time I get together with other pastors of churches and um, you know, sometimes I hear some of the complaints about just some of the attitudes, the difficulties they have. And I'm, for the most part, I don't share that perspective when I think of you all. I rejoice over you all and your, your obedience. It's my privilege to shepherd you. But I think one of the ways to be an obedient church is to follow after the things Paul said. And in fact, I think Paul said, hey, you're an obedient church. I trust that you're going to obey my counsel when it comes to divisive people, right? to, to notice them and to avoid them and to understand what's really going on. And I think Paul's commending of them, of being an obedient church, which is kind of paving the way to see these commands of verse 17 are actually carried out. But one of the things he says on that, after commending their obedience and, and, and testifying of his own joy, he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And I just say, there's my command, right? To be wise. Right, so when it comes to, to dealing with divisive people in the church, as Paul's talking about in Romans 16, threatening the unity of the church, just be wise about these things. Be wise was good, innocent was evil. It sounds an awful lot like the words of Jesus to his disciples when we, he sent them out to spread the message of the kingdom. In, in Matthew chapter 10, he, he knew that they would face, they would face hard things. He was going out to these people, these Pharisees, the the Jewish people who would be hard. They wouldn't want to listen. And he said this, Behold, I am sending you out. This is Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I think a lot of times in dealing with divisive people, you need to be wise. But there needs to be an innocence about you as well. And so as as the disciples were go out to these these Pharisees, it's hard Israel. He said, be wise, but be innocent. And you be wise because he says in verse 17 of Matthew 10, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them to the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious what you're to speak or what you say, for what you're to say will be given to you at that hour. Right? But you don't just... just um, naively walk into the lion's den you're you're wise about it you know you're walking into this pack of wolves but at least be wise about it but but come with this simplicity as well come with this this innocence as well right deal wisely with 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 people especially those who are trying to deceive proverbs 14 verse 15 the simple man believes everything but the prudent gives thought to his steps so paul's saying here don't believe everything don't believe everything they say be be wise, be cautious, right? When they speak about maybe other people at other churches, or, and I've, I've learned this, right? When someone tells you, coming into church, well, well, the other church was like this, or those people at the other church are like this, just know that in six months or a year, they're going to say, Rock Valley Bible Church is like this, and these people here at this church are like this, always. Unbelievable. The reason why they leave one church and complaints about that are the same complaints they'll have about us as well. So just be wise about that. Realize that the first man pleads his case, seems just, but another one comes along and, and sets it straight. And you say, you know what? I just don't think I know enough in your minds. So you need to be wise. But on the flip side, there should be an innocence about you as well, as he says in verse 19, right? Be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I, I, I think what he's talking about here is this, is it? You don't need to be sniffing out everybody who walks in the doors at Rock Valley Bible Church for their false teaching, going, 
Where's the, where's the false teaching? Where's the false teaching? Right? You're coming in. I got I to, right? Steve said to watch them, be aware of them, right? And avoid them. <laughs> I don't, I, John Piper, when he was preaching this passage, talked about uh, sniffer dogs, right? Who, who sniff out drugs at uh, airports. I, I don't know what kind of dogs they'd be. Who knows? I don't even know. German Shepherd, okay, you got a German Shepherd, right? You got the German Shepherd. What do the German Shepherds do like when they're not sniffing out drugs? They're like sniffing out drugs, right? Those who have been trained in it, that's what they always do. And, and I think this is a strong balance for us. Yes, be wise, but you don't always need to be on the guard, on the alert for what other people are coming and believing, like suspecting everyone coming in is going to be divisive because that's just going to turn our church sour, right? Rather... Be innocent as to what is good, right? Rejoice in those things, right? Eat, eat in, rather, innocent of those things that are evil, I think is what he says, right? right? So you don't need to jump into all the evil. You don't need to jump into all the bad teaching. You don't need to jump into that. You just be innocent of that. And in grace, deal with people, not with suspicion. I think that's what he's, he's talking about here. Well, my final admonition, right? We, we've seen in verse 17 to notice them. We've seen in verse 17 to avoid them. We've seen in verse 18 to understand them. Verse 19, we need to be wise in dealing with them. And now we need to trust God, verse 20. Paul says in verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And the main point of verse 20 is simply this, trust God. And I love how often the, the Bible is, is like this, right, that that it says, yeah, right, you, you, you work or you do or you follow, you obey. But in the end, what do you do? You, you trust God. Um, that is Psalm 139. We've been going over our prayer meetings just a little bit. We're working on memorizing that psalm. Some of us are just being reminded over and over again. It just says that, that God has searched me and known me. He knows everything about me. Wherever I am, there he is. He's the one that created us. He's the one that formed us. And he knows me intimately. Therefore, I'm in this trial. These enemies are coming against me, but I can trust in the Lord that he knows all things about me. You can just sit and rest in that. Um, Psalm 46 might be a similar passage to that. It just says, so the mountains roar and the rivers quake and so the mountains go into the sea. I mean, we're talking about major catastrophe. What, what do we do? We realize just how big and how sovereign and how good God is and we can rest in his goodness. Or Habakkuk 3 is a similar way. Though the, the fig tree shouldn't blossom. Right? And, and, and there'd be nothing on the vine. And the storehouses are empty. We have nothing. Yet Habakkuk is all about the sovereignty of God. We see how big God is. And how great God is. We can rest and trust in that. And that's what Paul is, is saying here. Just trust God. Trust God to know that the unity of Rock Valley Bible Church. Isn't ultimately dependent upon you and me. Dealing right with divisive people. Even if there's a big mutiny at Rock Valley Bible Church and, this, and, and the, the church is split and Caesar is killed, know that God's kingdom will still stand. God is on his throne and he will ultimately be victorious over Satan. In fact, that's how, how he, he says this verse. He says, the, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Now, I love the way God is describing this verse. God's called the God of peace. And what's the God of peace doing? He's crushing Satan. Yeah, I hope you see. When we think God of peace, like we typically think this tranquil God, this peaceful God, this gracious God, 
this loving God. But here, that's not what God of peace means. What God of peace means here is the God who establishes peace. And for God to establish peace, he must aggressively thwart evil. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And really, this is the message of our text this morning, right? To protect the unity of the church, we need to divide sometimes. We need to avoid people. And to realize that to obtain lasting peace, we need to crush. And I think that's similar vein of what what he's talking about here right when people are divisive right we we need to be peaceful people and separate from them we need to be like god who's a god of peace is going to crush satan now this verse has an allusion to the beginning of the bible so you can turn your bibles to genesis 3 we won't come back to romans 16 genesis 3 verses 14 and 15 of course the world was created at the six days of creation genesis chapter 1 chapter 2 the creation of man Everything's perfect, and then along comes chapter 3, this serpent who, who tempted the woman to sinning. The, she gave the apple to Adam, who was probably standing right there, and then the curse came upon all mankind. We're dealing with a curse from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. And the redemption story is what the Bible tells. But here, right from the start, right when the curse comes, we have a curse upon the serpent, and then we have the promise of victory Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. That's why snakes are on the ground with no legs. Because of that first snake. And they all bear that curse. And then the promise told to the serpent, but really a promise for us. I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is often called the proto-euangelion, proto-first, euangelion, gospel, the good news, the first hint of good news after the fall because here's where the, the first hope of final victory is given, that, that Satan may have plunged our race into sin. God will make it right in the end. There's going to be this war of these seeds There's going to be enmity between Satan and and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring, right? Between demons and those who are following Satan and and the progeny of men. There's going to be this war, this this spiritual battle that Troy talked about a couple weeks ago. And the idea is that that the seed of the woman is going to crush Satan, bruising him on his head, giving him a mortal wound, while Satan's only going to bruise his heel. The idea is Satan just gives him a, a flesh wound, right? Where, where the seed then gives him a, a mortal wound. Just a wound on the heel as opposed to a wound on the head. And that's what, that's what, that's what Paul's promising here in Romans 16 verse 20. Is that, is that God will soon crush Satan under your, your feet. And, and this is our hope. Is that God is going to fulfill this promise. He has fulfilled this promise in Jesus. That Jesus was, was, was crushed in his heel by, by the serpent, right? laid in the tomb. But three days later, he rose from the tomb, never to return to death again. He didn't just resuscitate. He resurrected, never to die again. The others, Lazarus and others, right, raised, but they died again. But Jesus will never die again. And he's the one, he's the firstborn from the dead who can lead us into eternal life. And that's our hope. 
our hopes in this promise of Genesis 3.16, which is echoed then in, uh, in Romans 16.20 with finality when God finally crushes Satan and crushes all this divisive influence that comes upon the church. And that's our hope, not our, our discerning abilities, not the great ways in which we deal with the divisive people in the church, not the ways that we see them and notice them, because quite frankly, we might notice, not notice them until it's too late, as John MacArthur did as a story I told when the whole staff mutiny, and he was kind of caught off guard. He didn't see them, and we should avoid them, right? Sometimes maybe even if we get too close to them, and even if they are around, and, and even if they lure some naive away after them, and even if they cause division in the church, which means a few leave, or the, the church crumbles, or it splits, in Christ, God will write all the wrongs. And, and in that we can hope. It is that God is going to accomplish His purpose despite our abilities to follow and obey Paul's admonitions in, in Romans 16. In that we can rejoice. That's, that's the gospel, is it not? I was talking to someone this past week about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and how the, the fourth one is my famous, the, is my favorite one. Right? There was uh, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That was a, was, a, was a good one. Prince Caspian was, eh. Voyage of the John Dreader was a, a great adventure. But the fourth one is the best one, the silver chair. In this, I think it's Eustace and Paul are given these four tasks, these four signs they need to do. And because um, they need to free Prince Rillian from, the, from the, the netherworld. And all four of these signs, they like miss. Like the, the sign, oh, we missed it. And the next sign comes, and they're supposed to do something, and they, they missed it. And they're like, oh, man. And the next sign comes, and they, and they missed it. And they, they missed all four of them. But you know what? They freed Prince Rillian because Aslan and his sovereignty overruled and made sure they accomplished in the end. And I, th- I think here, even if, we, even if we miss the admonition uh, of Romans sixteen seventy to 20, and, and even if we fail in dealing rightly with divisive people coming to our, our church, God still wins. And we will free Prince Rillian. We will be freed from our sins and with Christ everlasting. That's the gospel. It's our hope. It's all treasured in Jesus. So let's pray and uh, we can get on with our day. Father, I just would pray. Thank you for your word. Just thank you for how, how it comes across with such a, a great heart. Uh, a heart of unity as Paul spent Romans 14, 15, and 16 talking about unity. Picturing unity. And then just warning us here just in a few verses about disunity and, and divisive people. God, I, I pray that you would give us the grace to know how to, how to deal with those who are, who are always contrary. And God, when, when given a, a spectrum, do you strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree? They always strongly disagree. And they're always provoking. And they're always seeking to f- bring people after their own ways. I, I pray you'd help us to deal with them appropriately. That we as a church would be a, the unified church that Paul is envisioning here in the church at Rome. God, that we would stand unified and united and delighted in you. God, thank you that the gospel brings all of that, that brings different sorts of people all together under one cross, under one banner, a, a one new man. And so, God, I pray that you'd protect us, that we wouldn't be carried about by every wind of doctrine, God, but you would secure us, that we would be settled, God, people who would, who would stand firm in you, and, and we would extend grace to others. As Paul even finishes this text, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And that's the prayer, O oh God, that, that we pray, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, O oh God, would be with all of us. So God, because we need your grace, we need your mercy. We don't stand on our own merits. 
We don't stand on our own works. We stand solely upon the cross of Jesus Christ. So help us, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.